If you'd open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we're going to be reading from uh, verses 12 through 20, and then after that we'll pray. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 12. And, and by the way, uh, as you read this along with me, please notice words that are in quotations. Okay, It's going to be a little bit of a key to understanding what Paul's getting at here. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never! Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written... The two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, which you have labored to have written down for us by an act of the Holy Spirit through human servants. Your revelation, the revelation of your truth. And down through the ages, this word has been preserved. It's for us that we might learn who you are and what you expect of us so that we might glorify you. Open the eyes of our hearts this morning, Lord, that we might behold wondrous things from your law. We ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as Albert said, uh, we're taking 1 Corinthians 6 a little bit out of order, uh, but I still hope it'll be helpful for you. I'm glad that you're studying this letter. I think it's a very appropriate letter because I think it has real relevance uh, for us today. Now, I asked you to note the quotation marks. Uh, Paul begins this section by saying, all things are lawful for me, and those words are set off in quotation marks. Paul is actually repeating a slogan that the Corinthians were using. The Corinthians were apparently fond of slogans, brief, catchy phrases. Sometimes we call them cliches, sound bites, clever statements that stick easily in the mind. We all do this. There are a lot of slogans that we use. Some of them we use as 
guidelines for life, like the well-known live and let live, or look before you leap, things like that. One of my favorites is it's better to light a candle than to curse the darkness. My mother was a real fount of cliches. I grew up with all kinds of things like this. She didn't just say, spend your money wisely. She'd say, you spend your money like a drunken sailor. And here I am, you know, five years old with 25 cents of allowance, and I blow it all on candy. And, you know, it remained for me to grow up and find out just, well, how does a drunken sailor spend his money? So anyway, I I like cliches. One of my favorites is, uh, if you worry, you'll die. And if you don't worry, you'll die. So why worry? That's a good one, okay? And, uh, you know, we, we use slogans not only for guidance like that, but also to justify behavior like the boys that are fighting. He started it, and I'm finishing it. You know, okay, all right. Uh, when I was younger, instead of paying for tickets, we crashed the gates at the Meriwether Post Pavilion uh, to hear, actually, uh, the, the Led, Led Zeppelin was a warm-up band in those days for the Who, okay? But as we crashed the gates, we shouted, free music for free people. We were so radical. <laughs> well, the Corinthians were saying things. They had their slogans. And one of them was, all things are lawful. That is, all things are permissible. And some were pressing this slogan to the point where they used it to justify sexual immorality. Now, the danger with slogans, the danger with cliches, the danger with soundbite catch phrases like this is that they can easily substitute for thinking things through. And when you fail to think things through, you usually end up acting foolishly. I mean, it's a sad commentary on our culture that this is what political discourse has degenerated into. Sound bites, talking points. I mean, do we really think about things deeply anymore? And that particular slogan that they were using, all things are lawful for me, it sounds vaguely familiar to another phrase that we used in the 60s. If it feels good, do it. Consider the consequences of that idiotic statement. If it feels good, do it. Well, Paul must address another serious problem in the Corinthian church. He's already, as you know, addressed several. There were divisions that they had there. Pride, strife, jealousy. Uh, Haven't gotten to it yet, but in chapter 5, when you pick that up, incest lawsuits between believers. And Paul loves these people. He was a father to them. He was a father to the Corinthian people. I think you read that in chapter 4. You've come to that already. Now, Jesus said, call no man father. And Paul's not interested in anyone calling him father. He's not interested in a title. But because they came to spiritual life through his ministry, he is, in a sense, their spiritual father, humanly speaking. And they're his spiritual children, and he cares about them. He cares deeply for them. So, like a father, he's not afraid to correct them 
as a father would correct erring children. And now he's taking up another serious problem, and that has to do with their infatuation with the cultural standards of their day, standards that were damaging not only their lives, but also endangering the very gospel itself. Their lives were bringing the gospel into disrepute. So he's going to address the serious issue of sexual immorality. Now, I recognize that there are young people here today, some of them very young, and those of us who preach are aware of this and always have your children in mind. I will not be going into any detail on this subject. However, mom and dad, it's important for you to inform your children in such detail as is appropriate for their age. Encourage their questions and make it clear to them that they can always come to you with questions in this area, especially questions of a sexual nature. But also let them know it's not appropriate for them to talk with others about these things. And pray God for wisdom in this area. Yeah, it is awkward. I I know that. But I would advocate that you do what's necessary, even if it's awkward, to begin a conversation and to just keep that conversation going, especially through their teenage years. Uh, It will be a blessing to them. All righty. Well, Paul's going to talk to his children about it. And in doing so, he goes back to address their worldly wisdom, their attachment to some of the faulty values of their age. See, the Corinthians were influenced more by Corinth than they were by Christ. And that's understandable. They were just ignorant of a number of things. They were newly converted pagans, and they'd been co-opted by their culture to choose, well, a lifestyle that prized style over substance. And as a result, gospel message, as I said, was being drained of its power. And that's that's the same problem we have today. 21st century is no different. We breathe the air of our culture just as much as the Corinthians breathed theirs. So this passage speaks to us. Now, when I say gospel, uh, you know, Paul's basing everything that he does on the gospel. See, the gospel's a precious message. It's as Jerry Bridges said, the most important message in the world. And it's the only essential message in the world. It's the message by which we are saved. And in chapter 15, Paul will go very specific about the gospel. And he'd say that the gospel is the facts that Christ died, that Christ was buried and that Christ rose from the dead. And that somehow, by believing that message of the death and resurrection of Jesus, through faith in that gospel message, people are born again and are saved. I mean, as amazing as it sounds, that message is the message of what Jesus Christ actually did in history. Now, The problem the Corinthians had was not that they didn't believe that necessarily, but they weren't allowing that gospel message to function in their lives in a way that it changed their thinking and their acting. What happens when we come to know God, when we believe the gospel, is that we begin to think differently. We begin to think God's thoughts after him. And, of course, right thinking leads to right acting. So our thinking and our acting 
are connected to the gospel. It's called the functional expression of the gospel. In other words, the gospel has implications for how we think, how we believe, how we live our lives. And the passage before us actually is only incidentally concerned with sexual immorality. There's actually a bigger picture, a bigger issue that has to do with something greater. All right, now I I realize sex is a pretty big deal, uh, but there's something even bigger. Paul reasons here with the Corinthians and gives us some of the Bible's richest teachings on the tremendously important subject of our bodies. Our bodies. Do you know that the gospel of Jesus Christ has huge implications for your body? It does. It has implications for how we think about our bodies and how we use them. So whether your body is young or old, tall or short, smooth or wrinkled, thin or not so thin, what we learn and can apply today from the scriptures can result in great blessing for us and, more importantly, for the glory of God. we got to think rightly about our bodies. We have to think biblically about our bodies. So my main point today is we will glorify God, as he commands us to do at the end of this passage. We will glorify God with our bodies when we think biblically about our bodies. And there are three points that Paul makes here. We'll take them in order, but I'll just give them to you all at once at first. Our bodies, he said, will be raised up by God. That's our destiny. Secondly, our bodies have been joined to Christ. They have been and they continue to be joined to Christ. And thirdly, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. So we're talking about our bodies. First of all, our bodies will be raised up by God. So glorify God in your body. Let's look at verses 12 through 14 again. Quote, all things are lawful for me. Close quote. We're boasting the Corinthians. And Paul adds, okay, yeah, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me. All right. But I will not be enslaved by anything. Food is for the stomach and the stomach for food. All right, but God's going to destroy both one and the other. And then he says this, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will raise us up also by his power. The body is for the Lord and God will raise up our bodies. Our bodies matter to God. They are for the Lord. So, you got a slogan that they're quoting. And it's clever. All things are lawful. Yeah, Paul partially agrees, but he goes on to say, well, to an extent that's true, but not all things are helpful. Not all things are advisable. Not all things are expedient. Not all things are constructive. Okay, all things are permissible. Well, yeah, but if they enslave you, you got a problem. 
You see, there is liberty in the Christian life. But we have to be very careful with that liberty. It's kind of like fire. If you use it wisely, it can do a lot of beneficial things. But fire can also burn you. Jesus, or rather, Paul said in Galatians chapter 5, he said, you've been called to freedom. Only use not freedom for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Corinthians were arguing that just like eating food is not a moral issue, sexual relations are not a moral issue. It's a non-issue. All things are lawful. I can eat whatever I want and I can behave sexually however I want. It's just the body. Who cares? Well, no, no. These are two very different categories. Eating whatever you want is one thing. Sexual behavior is different. Food has no moral implications. Even Jesus made that clear. And the Pharisees were trying to give his disciples a hard time because they were eating grain without washing their hands. He said, no, no, no. It's not what goes into a man that defiles him. What comes out of the man is what defiles him. Yeah, food is no big deal. You can eat whatever you want. Just pray before you eat it and give thanks. But sex, that's different. That's different. They were wrongly equating food and sexual relations. Part of their problem was Corinth was a Greek city. And they were influenced by Greek philosophy. And the Greek philosophical cultural mindset was that the body is a non-factor. It's unimportant. What really is important is the soul or the spiritual aspect of man. And that's the kind of thinking that led people either to hedonistically indulge their bodies at one extreme. And the other extreme was that they would subject their bodies to harsh treatment, asceticism. And that Greek kind of thinking led to both those kinds of errors. Indulge the body or deny the body. Because they thought the body didn't matter. As a matter of fact, they considered the body to be the prison of the soul. You know, it's kind of an unusual twist in our own culture today uh, that we put great emphasis on the body, but without any Christian controls. So... The problem is, today, you see this over-fascination with health and beauty, which, by the way, are both losing battles. Sorry to tell you that. Our bodies, as they are now, are not for us to glory in. They're actually designed to humble us. Did you know that? Philippians chapter 3, Paul talks about Our bodies of humiliation or our lowly bodies. Our bodies are intended to humble us. They're not for us to glory in. Our bodies are needy. They need food. They need water. They need sleep. And these things are clues designed to point us to God. You can try to glory in your body, but as I said, it's a losing battle. You can exercise until your muscles bulge but they will perspire and it will not smell good. You can eat the finest foods, the healthiest gourmet foods, but you'll still have to go to the bathroom and it will not smell good. There's a clue. There's something humiliating about all this. As time goes on, you lose a step on the base paths. 
If God is good to you, you'll grow old, but things will start to sag. They'll start to bulge. But glory to God, there is coming a physical resurrection of the body. Paul says very clearly here, our bodies will be raised up by God. He's talking about the future redemption of our bodies, which will take place at the time of the resurrection when Christ returns. The gospel message tells us that as Christ died for our sins, was buried and rose the third day, we also will follow him in the resurrection of the body on the last day. And when you get to chapter 15, Paul will go into great detail talking about the resurrection of the body. I'll save it uh, for them. We'll save it for then, okay? But here's the point. God raised up Jesus Christ, and he's the first fruits of the resurrection. That first fruits is a guarantee that the full harvest will follow, and you and I are the full harvest. Now, this is God's destiny for your body. If that's the case, your body has great dignity. It has great importance your body is for the lord first corinthians six thirteen. so we glorify god in our bodies when we realize that our bodies will be raised up by god point number one point number two we glorify god in our bodies when we realize number two that our bodies have been joined to christ our bodies have been joined to christ that's what he says here Look at verses 15 through 18 again. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Members, it's a body part. Think of limbs. Think of arms and legs, okay? Don't you know, he says, that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never! Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes what? One body with her, for it's written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. That's a little different. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own bodies. All right. Our bodies are members of Christ, the limbs of Christ. Now, of course, we recognize a spiritual union. When we become believers, we become united with Christ, our union with Christ. It's a spiritual union. And Paul says that our bodies here are members of Christ, the limbs of Christ. Now, this is figurative language, okay? But the truth connected with it is that our union with Christ includes our physical bodies in The bargain, along with the rest of us. This is amazing. The essential nature of our union with Christ is spiritual, but our bodies are very much in view in our salvation. God is interested in the salvation not only of our souls, but of our bodies. They await future redemption, Romans chapter 8, when we shall participate in the resurrection and our bodies will then be glorified. And that, by the way, is a certain destiny for every Christian. Now, Paul reasons like this. From this truth, he reasons that if our bodies are members of Christ joined to him, they have great value. So should we then take our bodies and join them to a prostitute? 
And prostitution was one of the forms of sexual immorality. Uh, he says, should we do that? No, no, never. Never, says Paul. It's a horrible thought. It's a misuse of the body. So here's a little bit more of Paul's reasoning. He says, in sexual relations, the two become one. He said, two become one flesh. He quotes there from Genesis chapter 2. And that's the statement from the garden. When Adam and Eve were joined together in the first marriage, for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they too shall become one flesh. My wife and I are one flesh. We are joined together. In marriage, our bodies are joined together. This, of course, has to do with sexual union. It's a good thing because it is in marriage, a unique, lifelong commitment of a man and a woman who honor that commitment with faithfulness, with sacrificial love, and with a promise to one another. Will you love her, comfort her, honor and keep her in sickness and in health? And forsaking all others, keep yourself only unto her so long as you both shall live? Answer, I will. I will. Okay? That is important. To have and to hold. This is the beautiful language of the vows of a traditional wedding ceremony. It indicates that sexual relations within the covenant of marriage is very good. God says so. Well, it mirrors, human marriage mirrors a greater marriage of Christ and the church. Christ's commitment to the church, to nourish her, to cherish her. He loves her so much that he died for her. With sacrificial love, he demonstrated at the cross that love that carries through into all eternity. Christ loves the church, keeps the church in sickness and in health. She is one spirit with him. And every individual member of the church is one spirit with him. But as I said, as Paul said, our union with him has our bodies very much in view. Our bodies matter to the Lord. By its very nature, sexual immorality in its many various forms denies this. Oh, there is a joining. But it's a joining that is casual, it's passing, it's fleeting. It doesn't really represent the kind of oneness that marriage does. And marriage is the realm in which sexual relations flourish. This kind of sexual immorality, God cannot and will not bless. And Paul is essentially saying here, to the Corinthian Christians, your bodies are the members of Christ. They're the limbs of Christ. And you're going to join yourself to a prostitute? Oh, please, don't take me there. Don't do this to me. Imagine your body as Jesus saying, oh, no, no, don't look at that. Don't give yourself to that. Please, says Jesus, don't take me there. Because our bodies matter to God. And so he says, flee sexual 
immorality. Don't ponder. Don't contemplate. Don't consider. No, flee sexual immorality. The sexually immoral person, he also says, sins against his own body. It's verse 18. The sexually immoral person sins against his own body. In other words, that means there are consequences to this. If you do this, you're going to have more than a little trouble. The sexually immoral person sins against his own body. That's not all. He also sins against the Lord. And he sins against others. Even innocent people can be affected. And just as there are many different forms of sexual immorality, there are many different ways that consequences take place, like spiritual bondage, enslavement, being enslaved to degrading and disgusting habits, and physical health being destroyed through things like sexually transmitted diseases. And then relationships that can be damaged, sometimes beyond repair. Jobs can be lost. There are legal consequences. Oh, the misery, the regret, and the heartache that results from sexual immorality. I mean, consider just for a moment, on the national stage, the display, the spectacle that's being carried out right now. Every day, you read on the news about someone else whose sexual immorality has planted them on the front page. I guess we don't have front pages anymore, do we? Whatever it is. Along these lines, a word about sexual immorality in the Internet. There are more temptations than ever before to indulge your sinful nature. Please, by the way, don't, don't fool yourself in thinking that no one knows God knows. And God's not fooled. The Lord's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. If you are sinning in this area, please seek help. Small group leaders, pastors, mature Christian friend, nobody's going to look down their nose at you. All of us have been tempted and to some degree have fallen in this area. The Proverbs chapter 28 verse 13 says, Whoever conceals his sins will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes it will find mercy. Let me repeat that. Whoever conceals his sin will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes it will find mercy. Well, we glorify God in our bodies when we realize that our bodies have been joined to Christ. That's the second point. And finally, number three, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Verses 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He's talking to them as individual Christian believers. Back in chapter 3, he talked about the church corporately as the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that is absolutely true. But individually, your body, my body, Christian believer, is a temple of the Holy Spirit whom you have from God. The very Spirit of God has come 
to dwell in you. In me. Man. The dwelling place of God. Making you and me a temple of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that hard to believe? I mean, the same Spirit that hovered over the deep at the dawn of creation, the same Spirit through whom the heavens and the earth were created, have come to dwell. That Spirit has come to dwell in you and in me. This, of course, is totally in line with what Jesus said. On the night before He went to the cross, the night in which He was betrayed, He said to his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. And then he spoke to them of the Holy Spirit who had come to dwell. He says he has been with you. He will be in you. I know we don't feel perhaps like we're bearers of the Holy Spirit, but we are. It's a spiritual reality. It's amazing. Paul says here, you're not your own. You were bought with a price. God owns you because God bought you. Now, I said earlier, we have to connect the gospel with our thinking and living. And it doesn't get much more explicit than this when Paul says you were bought with a price. That language, bought with a price. It's the language of redemption. It's the language of the gospel. It actually is the language of the slave market, to get right down to it. The buying of people. It goes back to that ancient practice, and not so ancient, of buying and selling people. You and I have been bought out of our slavery to bondage. But in order for that to happen, a price had to be paid. And what was that price? The price was the very life of the Son of God. We talk about the price not in terms of silver or gold or precious stones, but the price of the blood of Jesus Christ. And that blood represents Christ's life poured out in death as the price of our redemption. It's the language of redemption. It's the language of forgiveness. There is not a sinless person here, nor anywhere in the world, never in history, except for one. The sinless Lamb of God slain for the sin of the world. Now, in all that Paul's talking about here, the context of sexual immorality, I want to tell you, that is not the unpardonable sin. However, it is so serious that the only price that could possibly pay to redeem people from it and all other sins is the perfect, holy, and sinless Son of God, His precious blood, the blood that cleanses, the blood that cleansed forgiven sinners then actually makes us ready to receive The gift of the Holy Spirit, whom we have from God. This is the high honor that God accords our bodies, that they actually become 
the dwelling place of God by the Spirit. This is amazing. I know it sounds amazing, but this is exactly what the Bible teaches. So where does that leave us? Well, as Christians, we have an obligation to God in the way that we live. Out of gratitude to Him for what He has done in saving us, we ought to live our lives in ways that please Him and bring Him glory. So when we obey Him and when we serve Him, we're doing that with our bodies. We're serving Him, we're worshiping Him, and that is acceptable worship to the Lord. But in order to do that, we need to think biblically about our bodies. We need to think, number one, this body is going to be raised one day at the resurrection. It will be glorified. This body of humiliation will be made like unto his glorious body. Philippians chapter 3. What's that going to be like? As I said, Paul will get into that a bit in chapter 15. It's going to be amazing. It's going to happen when the Lord returns. If he happens to return today, then in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and those who are alive at his coming will be changed in a moment. And we will be like him in terms of having glorified bodies. That is our destiny. Because of that, the body is precious to the Lord. Our bodies, Paul says, have been joined to Christ. Our bodies are members, limbs of the Lord. And they are also temples of the Holy Spirit. Any one of these reasons is enough for holy wonder. But altogether, they are true and glorious and overwhelming. And furthermore, we don't belong to ourselves. You don't. You never did. You were always gods by right of creation, but even more so now by right of redemption. He not only created you, he bought you. He bought you out of bondage. He created us. He bought us. He owns us. We're his slaves. But to be a slave of God is to be free indeed. The problem is, like the Corinthians, he says, do you not know? Well, actually, Paul, for the most part, I, I guess I don't. I don't think I do. Are you ignorant? Yeah, a lot more ignorant than I should be. What's the, what's the, the answer to that? Well, reading his word. You won't find this anyplace else. But this is what the Bible says about you and me. It's pretty overwhelming. He created us. He bought us. He owns us. We are his slaves, his servants. But to be his slave, as I said, is to be free indeed. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Your word is a light to our paths. It's a lamp unto our feet. Without it, we can't see to walk. We can't think right 
And so we can't walk right. But through your word, we're becoming enlightened. And we need your help. Lord, I pray for myself and for all of us here that we will flee sexual immorality in all of its forms. Recognizing that our bodies belong to you. And that our bodies are destined for glory. That our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we're, we're inclined to despise our bodies. I don't think there are too many of us here that are really pleased with our bodies. But Lord, you are. You are pleased to dwell in us. Help us to think about our physical being the way you do. So that the gospel might influence the way we live to bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name, amen.